and Lily, and you're listening to Just Ghouly Things. <laughs> Lily, what the hell was that? <laughs> There's probably a delay. It was like you were going, and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. You sound like a fucking owl. I don't even know what was going. (laughs) Of course, an owl, a creepy owl Mm -hmm. with the long, creepy legs running towards me in the middle of the night. Oh my god! And I always picture when I picture an owl running towards me, I picture the long legs, but I also picture their wings spread apart. Oh yeah, that that makes them even more intimidating. Oh, for sure, like Naruto running and shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no thanks. So anyway, hey Boo Things, and welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, and we are your bootsyful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. It feels so good to be back behind the mic talking to Lily again. We just, we just like, talked about our life for the past week and a half since we haven't really caught up after we haven't been recording every single day for 85 days straight. So, yeah, a lot can happen in a week. A lot can happen in a week. But Lily's life is so much more entertaining than mine because she's back to work. So she's like all over the place, like socializing with people and like being amazing. And I'm just sitting on the couch still like, OK, um, waiting for my boss to let me know when it's OK to go back to work. <laughs> oh, my God. This guy came into the bank on my first day uh-huh. and he came in and he said to like my co-worker who was at the desk next to me he was like I need to open a secret account I think my family's gonna kill me <laughs> you told me this because I texted you the first day you started and I was like oh good luck on your first day blah 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 and when you texted me that I told Mike I was like Lily never fails to have a story in any part of her life. Like, where she can literally go to a gas station bathroom just to take a piss, and something crazy will happen in that three-minute time span. That's so and, true. And, and I really, I expect you just to say, oh, you know, it was fine, you know, just getting used to everything. But then when you told me that story of the secret bank account, I also was like, this is also not so shocking to my system because this is happening to Lily. <laughs> what else would you expect? No, absolutely no one else. Like, literally, you have the most random stories. And your family, too. Like, it's it's definitely a genetic thing. Like, your family has such a cool fucking history. Like, with your, like, <laughs> grandfather and stuff like that. It's nuts. There's it's nuts. rarely a dull moment, I have to say. The Baldessaris and, I don't know your mom's maiden name, but the whole family is just bananas. Bananas. <laughs> it really is bananas. So, uh, I was leaving this to talk about it on the show. So, um, a couple, like a month or so ago, my mom emailed me, or forwarded me this email to, it's called Drew Callie, and he's a psychic medium, and he has a school for people that are looking to become mediums, or for those that have the gift and they're kind of looking to hone their craft. Because mm-hmm. if you guys didn't know this, I think we talked about it before in the quarantine special. Um, everyone could become a medium if you if you wanted to. There's like a process and opening the third eye and this and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. But pretty much he teaches people how to read others. 
And so he put out an email saying that for his students, his current students, he needs people to read that haven't been read by the school before or whatever. So he says, all you do is send me your first name and your phone number so that I can give you a student and then they can contact you, you know, like they were just picking random people. So my mom sent it to me. I was like, okay, like I'll put my first name and my phone number, like not thinking anything of it because this was a couple months ago. I get a text message from a random girl and she's like, hey, this is Marissa. Um, I, you know, I'm a student here. Uh, can I read you on Thursday or Friday? Like this week. Oh, my God. So I was like, uh, like I, yeah, like, I did not expect to be reached out to. But yeah, so um, I'm getting read on Friday. So I, when next week, when we have our episode, I will be filling you in on what she said. If she was, you know, she's a student, so I'm going to give her credit. You know, I'm like, I'm going to give her some slack. Um, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how credible and authentic the experience is. My mom's like, my mom is being a little bit like, oh, well, maybe she like looked up your information because you have a lot of stuff on you online. And that's why like the person picked her. And I'm like, mom, I'm like, I put my first name. I didn't even use an email that has my first and last name and my phone number. And my phone number, when you put in my phone number, it doesn't show up my name. So there's no way she would figure out any of my information. I didn't give her anything. But I think my mom's just, like, jealous because she didn't get picked, and she's the one that told me about it. So I was like, ha <laughs> Like, you're just mad. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm going to – I'm, I'm definitely – I was told not to go in with any expectations and mm-hmm. to wear or to, like, have something on you that, like, if there's someone that you want to connect with, like it's significant like to that person so that it like draws their energy in so mm-hmm. if you guys have any tips before i talk to the psychic medium student email us at just coolie things podcast at gmail.com because i would love to hear your feedback so I, I can come in fully prepared fully prepared for this experience i'm excited but i'm also low-key nervous I can I can understand that. I can imagine. Yeah. Like, it's... I've had readings, like, when I was in a full group. So, it was, like, a three-minute reading for me individually. And it was very broad. It didn't really seem like anyone was coming through for me. That was significant. So, um, I didn't... Like, I, didn't, I don't really think much of those experiences. Uh, so, to have a one-on-one... I don't know how long the session is. Probably, like, 30 minutes to an hour most. So, we'll see. We will see. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like on the edge of my seat, wondering what's going to happen. Wait, are you are you working on, on Friday at all? I I am. Okay. Well, when I get done with my reading, I'll text you, and then when you're free, I'll Facetime you, and I'll give you the whole lowdown on what they said, and then I'll talk about it again on the show. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I love. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So, enough about us and our crazy lives. We are now finally focusing on specific topics for our weekly episodes. I actually loved being able to research this week and be able to do a little more research and investigations on on this specific topic because I haven't really... I mean, we look up stories... But there really isn't that much to it, especially since, you know, our source was easy to get to. Like, we really didn't have to go a million places to find the stories during the quarantine spooky story special. But, uh, yeah, this one was a little fun. So this week, Lily, do you want to tell everyone what the topic is? 
This week, we focused on real-life haunted mansions. <laughs> I feel like we talked about haunted houses in the United States before in previous episodes. Uh, of course, you know, haunted houses are like a common thing that you hear about in horror movies. You know, ghost hunters, ghost nation, ghost adventures, they go into haunted houses all the time. But these uh, mansions that we're going to be talking about um, a lot of them give tours, and a lot of them are very significant in U.S. history. So maybe you guys will learn something a little new today, too. Educational. Keeping you woke. They right. woke. Lily, oh, no, my, oh, oh, God. Oh, I oh thought God. my computer just died. That was <gasps> terrifying. Stop it. My screen just went black, but it's because I haven't been, like, you know, like, scrolling or doing anything. It's oh my the God. ghost. I just almost- had a panic attack. It's the ghosts warning us not to put them on blast. Probably. All right, Lily. So what's your first uh, your first haunted mansion? Okay. We are starting big with the White House. Ooh, good one. So the White House was built um, in 1792 and is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., of course, and has been the residence of every U.S. president since John Adams in 1800. So, here we go. I'm, I, I have, like, a lot of scattered information because, for those of you who don't know, my phone fell in the bathtub and I had <laughs> a bunch of information and then I locked it all. Again, circling so, back to the fact that literally the most random crazy things happen to Lily. Prime <laughs> example. Prime I example. I in a train station today. <laughs> of course you did. Why wouldn't you? Literally. I the exit. I looked up. I was on a train platform. I was so <laughs> you were. Uh, you almost did not make it home today. Jesus Christ. Somebody help this woman. <laughs> I need an adult. But wait, so going back to the White House. Sorry, before you start. I never thought about the White House being haunted. Just because you don't think about it. But... If it was if it was built in late 1700s, hundreds of years of history, it makes complete sense that it would be haunted, right? Like, how could it not be haunted? Yeah, you know what I mean. With all like, the dark secrets. Oh, for sure. All right, sorry. Keep going. So, on a lonely night in 1946, President Harry S. Truman went to bed at 9 p.m. and about six hours later, he heard it: knock, knock knock the sound against his bedroom door awakened him he wrote to his wife in a letter that is archived in his presidential library and museum quote i jumped up and put on my bathroom opened the door and no one was there he wrote went out and looked up and down the hall looked in your room and margie's still no one went back to bed after locking the doors and there were footsteps in your room whose door i had left open jumped and looked and no one there the damned place is haunted, sure as shooting. Secret <laughs> Service said not even a watchman was up there at that hour. Mm. So that's our first little story that we got. So Harry Truman heard knocks and there was no one no one to be found. And it is believed that Abraham Lincoln is one of the ghosts who resides in the White House. Ooh. So for those of you who don't know, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States from 1861 to 1865. And he's remembered for his vital role. I feel like I'm doing a school presentation. I love it. 
was remembered for his vital role as a leader in preserving the Union during the Civil War and beginning the process that led to the end of slavery in the United States. He's remembered for his character, his speeches and letters, and as a man of humble origins whose determination and perseverance led him to the nation's highest office. He is also, of course, remembered for his untimely death and his supposed afterlife in the White House. Tell me so more. Presidents, first ladies, guests, and members of the White House staff have claimed to have either seen Lincoln or felt his presence. The melancholy bearing of Lincoln himself and several instances of eerie prescience on his part only add to the legends of the great emancipator's ghost. So Liz Carpenter, who was the press secretary to Lady Bird Johnson, told an author that Mrs. Johnson believed she'd felt Lincoln's presence one spring evening while watching a television program about his death. She noticed a plaque she'd never seen before hanging over the fireplace and mentioned Lincoln's importance in that room in some way. Mrs. Johnson admitted feeling a strange coldness and a decided sense of unease. This disquieting apprehension has been felt by others. Grace Coolidge, wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, was the first person to report having actually seen the ghost of Lincoln. She said he stood at a window of the Oval Office, his hands clasped behind his back, and was gazing over the Potomac, perhaps still seeing the bloody bad battlefields beyond. <gasps> the ghost of Lincoln was seen frequently during the administration of Franklin D. Roosevelt when the country went through a devastating depression, then a world war. Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was a guest at the White House during that period, and she was awakened one night by a knock on her bedroom door. Thinking it might be an important message, she got up and opened the door. The top-hatted figure of President Lincoln stood in the hallway, <laughs> fainted. Oh, when my she, God. When she came to, she was lying on the floor, and the apparition had vanished. Eleanor Roosevelt used Lincoln's bedroom as her study. Although she denied seeing the former president's ghost, she admitted she admitted to feeling his presence whenever she worked late at night. She thought he was standing behind her, peering over her shoulder. Stories of ghostly President Lincoln wandering the corridors and rooms of the White House persist, but are not officially acknowledged. The gangly prairie lawyer with the black stovepipe hat and long sad face was the kind of man whom legends naturally collect. If one were to believe in ghosts, one would have to believe that the benevolent spirit of Abraham Lincoln, one of our greatest presidents, still watches over the nation he fought so gallantly to preserve. And then there's a story from Jenna Bush Hager, who is the daughter of George W. Bush. And okay. she said in conversation with Hoda Kotb that um, one time she and her twin sister, Barbara, may have encountered the undead while living in the White House under their dad's time in office. The sisters were in their shared bedroom when Jenna's phone rang. She said, quote, it woke us up in the middle of the night. We had a fireplace in our room, and all of a sudden we started hearing like 1920s piano music as clear as day coming out of the fireplace. It was so spooky that Jenna... Um, it was so spooky that Jenna jumped in her sister's bed. She said we were both awake. 
And to make things even more suspect, it wasn't a one-time thing. The next week, uh, she says, quote, the next week we heard the same thing, but as opera. They ended up talking themselves out of the possibility the place was haunted, but a White House staffer made her question it again. I said, buddy, you wouldn't believe what we heard last night. And he goes, oh, Jenna, you wouldn't believe what I've heard. (laughs) And then finally, um, I have a story from Reddit. So this was from a former duty officer in the White House. So he posted an AMA. And he said, feel free to ask me about, you know, this, this, this. And one of the things was the ghost story. So someone asked about the ghost story. And he said, it's a pretty well-known fact that the White House is haunted. And I know someone who has seen an actual ghost there, no bamboozle. There's a hallway that I informally called the Lincoln Hallway. I'm not sure what its official name is, but I called it that because it has lots of Lincoln-related stuff like this painting of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, a bust of Lincoln, and a couple other things. It's about 3 a.m., and my team chief says he is going to go walk and stretch his legs. He leaves and comes back about 10 minutes later, his face completely drained of all color. Hmm. Before I go on, it is important to establish something. This guy had precisely zero sense of humor. None. He had gone to a service academy and was uptight and as by the book as they come. Don't get me wrong, he's a good dude, but extremely serious. We see him and we're like, hey man, are you okay? What happened? And he just keeps saying, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. At this point, we're concerned. Like, was he sexually harassed by a secret service agent or something? None of this is making any sense. None at all. About an hour goes by and he finally says, I saw something. We waited, and he says, I was walking in the hallway, you know, where all the stuff of Lincoln is, and I saw someone. Okay. I think it was a kid. He was only probably about four feet tall, and he was just there in the hallway looking at that bust of Lincoln. When we asked what happened then, he said he kind of looked around to make sure he wasn't crazy, and when he looked back, the boy was gone. Now, Abraham Lincoln, it turns out, had a, had some kids, and the third son, Willie, died in the White House in 1862. So it's quite possible that what this um, duty officer's co-worker saw was the ghost of Abraham Lincoln's son. So maybe it's like a family affair, and the whole Lincoln family is haunting it. Damn. that You know what? But if there's going to be any president haunting the White House... I like that it's Lincoln. Lincoln seemed like a pretty good guy, you know? Like, I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, I mean, think about all that he went through in his life. Like, he was born in, like, a log cabin. You know, he had a war. He, you know, obviously, like, was president. That comes with so many other stressors, like, of the time, Mm -hmm. right? He's working on freeing the slaves. And then he got murdered. Like, of course there's unrest there. Oh, definitely. And I I could definitely picture him being more of a, a residual haunting, though, just because just replaying those those traumatic memories <laughs> consistently. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting to hear. I didn't even know there were that many stories about the haunting of Abe Lincoln, and a lot of them coming from first ladies. Yeah, right? And, you know, as a first lady, you have to hold yourself a certain way, and I feel like talking like this 
especially in the times that these women were first ladies, would be ra- rather taboo. So the fact that they're open talking about it and being like, yeah, I saw Abe Lincoln. I fainted. I didn't see him, but I experienced, <laughs> I sensed him. I feel like that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big thing to say if you don't mean it. Yeah, Look, exactly. I feel like people didn't really like, wouldn't be like, oh, just Josh and there's no Abe Lincoln ghost. You know, like Eleanor Roosevelt wasn't probably a big practical joker. She had shit to do. <laughs> a lot of politicians and are full of shit. But um, I think that when it comes to this, uh, you know, we can we can we can bet that it's not bullshit. There's no reason for them to lie about something like this. There's nothing to gain. So, yeah. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Right? Like, I, I learned a lot doing all this research, even if it was a little scattered about. But I pieced it back together like a puzzle. You did a phenomenal job. And Thanks. I remember this story, the, this research brought me back to, I used to have this book, and it was one of my favorite books that I used to, that I bought at the Scholastic Book Fair. All right, just bring oh it back. Oh, my God, I missed the book fair. All right, remember, your parents gave you money in an envelope and said, spend it wisely. You go to the mm-hmm. book fair, all right, during your period, like math period, so you're super happy because you don't have to take the math class now. You go down, and you're picking out your favorite books. You pick out a happy, uh, what, what was it called, happy bunny. You get, like, a little, oh like, God. mouse pad. You get, um, you get one of those bigger racers that you end up losing or breaking halfway through the season. Um, Dude, you, do you remember Smensel's? Uh, yes. I actually have some still. No way. Yes. And they're still in their little containers and they still smell. I had a cotton candy stencil and it was the shit. That was one of the best scents. I can, I can still like, like the memory is so strong. I can still smell it. Like you like stick that tube up your nostril and just like inhale. Like that. And then what was the, and then the other, the, the marker that was super like smelly of the different like flavors the different scents you know what i'm talking about dude i I like at like fucking seven years old i'd get high off of this shit i'd be like snorting it up my nose like oh that's the stuff that's the stuff oh yeah yeah they the teachers and always had like those little cardboard boxes of like eight markers and like the pink was watermelon scented and the black was licorice scented Mm -hmm. and i remember everyone would all the black licorice smell was always so strong oh in yeah those scented markers oh yeah first that, that was, i remember yeah. sitting around and being like i can take it <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i feel like now opening up this part of my childhood has also opened my eyes to why i am the way i am today <laughs> and the problems i have absolutely makes a lot of sense but anyway going back to this classic book fair i bought the the main reason i was talking about this i bought a book and it was about the presidents that lived in the white house but not specifically about the presidents themselves but the pets that they owned while in the white house and it goes through every single pet that each president had and their personalities and what type of dogs they were or cats or like they had, I think at one point there was like a monkey in there or a mule or a donkey or something. Like it was nuts. Some of the crazy shit that was in the White House. So I would be curious to see if any of those little furry creatures were haunting the White House as well. Just a monkey ghost chilling with Abe Lincoln. Weirder things have happened. That would be amazing. An, a, a ghost monkey and Abe Lincoln? Iconic. Iconic. Yeah, that's a buddy comedy right there. <laughs> that's, that's definitely the a sitcom. 
Definitely. Catch it on Netflix next summer, 2021. Cap does Netflix. All right. So my next story is, well, my next haunted mansion is, this isn't really a mansion, but it's a historical landmark, and it's called the Joshua Ward House. Okay. So the Joshua Ward House, if you guys don't know, it's a three-story brick home located in Salem, Massachusetts. So it's one of Salem's earliest brick homes and one of the most haunted houses. And so obviously the Joshua Ward House was named after Joshua Ward, who was a wealthy sea captain and built the home in 1784. And before everything was built up, uh, when this house was built, you could see from the top of the house, you could see over the water, the beautiful water of Salem, Massachusetts. And that's where Joshua Ward made all his money. So it was like the perfect place for him to live. Um, but Joshua and the Joshua Ward house ended up being so important that when George Washington paid a visit to Salem, he actually stayed in that house as well. And for years, yeah, and for years there was a bust of the President Washington in the window, and a lot of gullible visitors would see it from the street and get terrified because they thought that it ended up being the spirit of you know George Washington or spirit from the home, but really it was just the bust of. I'm 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 the pedestrian who saw a bust and got scared. (laughs) That is Lily. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. I'm bitches. Yeah, (laughs) literally. Okay, so. Unknown to Ward, though, although he had a beautiful home and his location was beautiful, he shouldn't have built it there. Had he understood the evil that resided on the property, he may have chosen a different site for his new home. So let's pedal it back to a century before. During, If this was in 1784 and we're going a century before, what are we talking about in Salem, Massachusetts? The witch trials? Yes. Yes. Yay, so, I learned something. There you go, guys. And during the witch trials before Ward built his new home, a cruel man named George the Strangler Corwin signed warrants to arrest and execute people accused of practicing witchcraft. And as the high sheriff of Essex County, his duty- duties included protecting innocents from witchcraft. Corwin was known to enjoy tying his victims' ankles to their neck and uh, tanging them up until they bled from their nose. He used force to make his victims admit to practicing witchcraft. Yeah. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. So, Corn's final victim was a man named Giles Corey. A lot of you guys may have heard the name. He was accused of being a warlock, a male that practices witchcraft, and on April 18, 1692, Corwin had Corey arrested after several people claimed he had hexed them with witchcraft. Although not tried by a court, Corey was sentenced to die on September 19, 1692. Corwin or- ordered Corey... That's like a whole mouthful. Corwin ordered Corey to be pressed to death. He was stripped of his clothing and a board was placed on his stomach. Several rocks were placed on the board to crush him. Corey showed absolutely no fear. He told, oh my God. Yeah. He told Corwin to keep adding more weight and the heavy rocks eventually crushed Corey to death. And even crazier, as Giles Corey's body perished, it is said that with his last breath, he groaned out, Damn you, Chef Corwin. I curse you and all of Salem. Ooh. Yeah. So keep that in your, in your back of your mind, okay? So Corwin okay. ended up killing 19 innocent men and women. 
he became known as a sadistic monster who enjoyed torturing and killing his victims. He also had another racket going. Except for land, Corn would seize the property of his of his prisoners. So after convicting someone of witchcraft, which they didn't fucking do, he ends up seizing all their livestock, crops, furniture, and jewelry. What a dick! Piece of shit. Absolute piece of shit. So eventually, you know, I don't wish horrible on people, but you know, God works in mysterious ways. And Corwin suffered a heart attack and died in 1696. And he was really young, even for the time. So it was a big shock that he had died. Um, but my first reaction to that was, was this possibly from the Giles Corey's curse? Did Giles Corey put some sort of weird thing onto Corwin and made him have a heart attack? Who knows? Hundred percent. I'm. That's what I'm leaning towards. But let us know what you guys think. However, his evil remained in the home, so the family members didn't originally bury him in a graveyard. They feared citizens hated Corwin so much that someone might dig him up and desecrate his body. Understandable. So to avoid this issue, they buried him in the basement of the property where the Joshua Ward house stands. Yeah. Okay. So at least three ghosts supposedly occupy the Joshua Ward home. It's believed that the ghosts are Corwin, Giles Corey, and a murdered witch. And in in, in 1981, a realtor took a terrifying photograph from inside the house. And the picture was of a supposed witch with a large mop of dark hair and a horrifying looking face. Now, um, I'm going to send you the picture uh, when we're done with this, Lily. And this is a picture that you've probably come across from, you know, doing your research of paranormal. It's a very iconic picture. As soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, I've definitely seen this somewhere. Um, We'll post it on our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at... Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Uh, And it's a very horrifying picture, but it takes place in the Joshua Ward home. Uh, So it's funny how people think that there's three ghosts and not one of them is Joshua Ward, which is what the house is named after. Um, Mm -hmm. But visitors of the home claim to have felt ghostly hands choking them. You know, the strangler. Uh, Other occurrences include knocked over trash cans, cold spots, doors opening and closing by themselves, books being thrown on the floor, and blobs of candle wax from an unlit candle. And, um, but since 2015, even though it is always known as the Joshua Ward House, it's now a hotel called The Merchant where you can stay. So if you're ever in Salem, check out The Merchant. You can stay there and see if you experience any of the ghosties that live there. And if you do, email us at justgleathingspodcast at gmail.com. Yes. So um, I found this encounter from the Spellbound Spellbound Tour Encounter. And this is a tour group that I guess the people that own this tour group, they also do ghost investigations. And they also offer tours to people that aren't professional investigators but would love to go to haunted places and kind of experience it on their own. Uh, So this is from their website. It says, the Joshua Ward House was the site of some of the Spellbound Organization's first Salem paranormal investigations. According to an investigator we used to work with closely, for who the sake of an anonymity we will call Mary, and for her skeptical partner, Robert, were checking the place out and taking preliminary recordings in different parts of the house. She was setting equipment up in the third floor room. Robert was in the basement. Mary realized too much time had passed. Where was Robert? 
They were supposed to have met up half an hour ago in the parlor. She called out for him. He was nowhere to be found. The people working in the house had not seen him since he headed down to the basement. Mary raced down to the basement. Robert was there, but not the way she had left him. He lay writhing on the floor, barely alive, struggling to breathe. Mary wrangled him into a sitting position and shook him into consciousness. Through tears, Robert choked out a story describing how he, as he poked around the basement, he was struck from behind and his throat was seized. He whirled around to face his attacker, but there was no one there. Yet the strangling sensation continued. It was as if someone was attempting to choke the life out of him. Robert tried to shout for help. Not a sound cold issue from his mouth. Uh, not a sound cold. Oh, not a sound could issue from his mouth, as his invisible assailant had his windpipe so constricted. It felt as if two vice-like hands were wrapped around his throat, trying to choke him to death. Robert felt himself begin to fade. His vision broke into black sparkles. His body went limp, and he passed out. Mary apparently found him just in the nick of time. As Robert revived and shared his story, it was noticed his neck had massive bruising, consistent with what is seen on victims who have been violently choked. From what I understand, this was Robert's last paranormal investigation. While both investigators have been apprised of the Joshua Ward's house haunted reputation and that Sheriff Corwin's wrathful spirit may still linger, neither were aware that Corwin had been nicknamed the Strangler. According to local legend, Corwin's chosen method of eliciting confessions of his victims were to choke them until they admitted whatever he accused them of. So, yeah. That happened. And then um, they continue by saying the Spellbound Organization's founder and former head investigator, Molly Stewart, had her own close encounter in the Joshua Ward house. Molly is a pioneer in the field of EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, the voice recording of disembodied spirit voices. Sometimes ghostly voices that are inaudible to the naked ear could be recorded and heard when played back. Uh, nowadays, most investigators are using digital recorder, uh, digital voice recorders to try to catch the EVP, but in Molly's day, it was all analog type. So personally, I find we get better results with tape, but I digress. Molly had conducted two previous fruitless tri trips to the Joshua Ward house. She had taken pictures and collected stories from employees, but had not been able to capture any paranormal evidence. On this, her third trip, she was not expecting much. She was alone in the house, and she had set up audio and video recording devices in many of the dim chambers, hoping that this time might be different. At the close of the investigation, she collected her devices and brought them back to the office. When she played back the tape from the basement, her blood ran cold. A rough voice growled out the, fr out the phrase, I just want to keep you. Molly, oh, <laughs> Molly checked all the surveillance footage. No physical person had been in the room when the eerie audio had been recorded. The voice on the tape was distinct and clear. There was no background distortion. Out of nowhere, the angry voice made its demand. It is one of the clearest and most convincing examples of EVP ever recorded. Could Molly possibly have captured the vicious sheriff calling for blood from beyond the grave? I am inclined to think so. So that was from the Spellbound Tours on their website you can check them out then i found an experience of the joshua ward house on reddit so this is my last encounter of the joshua ward house um so my friends and i have been talking about going to salem for years and around the same time we decided that this was the year we finally did it i heard the joshua ward house episode of the podcast if i recall correctly um, M thought it was a realty office now, but when I was looking for hotels, I discovered that the Ward House is now a merchant hotel. Fancy hotel with heated bath and floors, complimentary breakfast, and also free haunts. Sign us the fuck up. So I guess 
there was another <laughs> podcast that talked about the Joshua Ward house. But anyway, to be honest, I didn't really expect anything to happen. I've joked for years about having an anti-ghost radius. In college, I lived in supposedly haunted areas of the dorms and had hallmates have weird experiences, but nothing ever happened to me. Ghosts, I figured, no, I want, I want it too much. Aw, shit, the ghost must say. Here comes Spoopy Fern. Everyone pack it the fuck up until, we, until they leave. I love this person's writing. The first night, my expectations of nothing were met. I was bummed, but not terribly surprised. The second night, though, I jolted awake in the middle of the night. The bed was shaking. Not a constant tremor, but a few distinct shakes, like someone had grabbed a headboard and physically shook the whole damn thing. I asked my friend if she felt anything, but she was asleep and hadn't noticed or felt anything. Okay, I thought. Let's not get excited. Maybe the people next door are going, are doing some vigorous adult-type things. Nothing to write about. I love the way they phrase yeah. that. Yeah. So the next day, I made sure to check out the other side of the building from our room and realized that our room backed up against the staircase going to the top floor. But, hey, still not confirmation of ghosts, right? Maybe someone just arrived super late, and heck, if they were that late, they'd doubtless be tired and drag and bump their suitcases a few times, right? And then nothing happened that night or the next, and I sighed and pretty much wrote it all off. When we weren't sleeping, my friends and I were exploring Salem and doing an oodle of walking tours, most of which mentioned the Joshua Ward house. So uh, we then go back to the hotel. We'd slyly tried to pump the staff from information. All three people we chatted with were very adamant that nothing spooky had ever happened there, nor was currently happening there, and never would happen there. Two of them even lamented lamented that they totally love it and think it was cool if something spooky happened but no nothing not even in the basement the management only disallows ghost tours and staff and stuff because who wants to hear a tour group outside their room when they're trying to relax also yeah it makes sense also that iconic and totally not at all creepy ass photo apparently faked that's not wild hair it's just a christmas wreath behind a woman's head or it was actually a plot to keep the place from being foreclosed on. There are no ghosts in the Joshua Ward house, dot, 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 supposedly. We were a little dismayed from hearing this information, but not swayed in our belief that there had been spooky goings on. It would make sense if the staff had been told to further downplay the ghost thing, right? We believed, damn it. And then the last night, it finally happened. We conked out early because, oh shit, we're old now. And we walked like 30 miles that week. And also, we were leaving in the morning. And also, that was a damn comfy bed. My friend woke up before me. She heard the sound of furniture scraping on wood. Like, whoever was in the room above us was moving their furniture around. You know, like you do in a hotel at midnight. Perfectly normal shit. (laughs) I woke up when the running started. Heavy footsteps that sounded more like stomping, but at a much quicker pace. Back and forth above us they went, over and over again. Sometimes they would pause for a few moments before starting again, seemingly at random. Sometimes it was like the steps were so heavy they shook our bed. We turned to each other with the universal, are you hearing slash feeling this shit? Look on both of our faces. And yep, we were both experiencing it. And it wasn't just an exercise-induced hallucination. Eventually, we tried to go back to sleep. And after an hour, the noises and shaking had stopped. Obviously, the first thing we did when we woke up the next morning was discuss what the fuck happened. We decided to bring it up to the staff when we checked out, but to try to make it so we could also suss out if it turned out there was nothing even supposed to, if there wasn't even supposed to be anyone in the room above us. Well, turns out the rooms were indeed occupied by an elderly couple, though. So I don't know. Maybe in grandma and grandpa like to party and rearrange furniture and do some late night calisthenics. <laughs> 
Or maybe the place is actually fucking haunted after all. Hint, it's ghosts. There are ghosts. The place is haunted by ghosts. The end. Ooh, I like the twists and turns. Yeah, and I definitely feel like the people that work there are told to tell people that are reside that are you know staying there for their time that it's not haunted or they never experience anything just to not scare them away not to scare business away yeah that's it's my kind take. Of difficult to make that call of are we going to you know portray ourselves as a haunted location or not a haunted location because both can draw and drive people away you yeah, know but it's salem massachusetts what are you expecting True. You know, true. there's just so much That's history like in New York and being like, oh, I don't want to stay somewhere where there's angry people who are always in a rush. Well, <laughs> newsflash, you're going to get them. <laughs> All right, Lily, what's your last haunted house or haunted mansion? I have the Myrtle's Plantation. Ooh, this is a good one. Yeah. So uh, Ghost Adventures went here. I wanted to watch the episode, but I didn't get time because of like work and life and everything. But um, anyway, so Ghost Adventures was there. So the Myrtle's Plantation was built in 1796 by General David Bradford on 600 acres and was named Laurel Grove. So General David Bradford was also known as Whiskey Dave. And the drama began in 1796 uh, when he fled to the U to the United States to avoid arrest and imprisonment. Bradford arrived at Bayou Sarah, then a Spanish colony, and obtained a land grant of 650 acres from the, I'm going to butcher this, Baron de Corondelet. I wish I could tell you what you just said. <laughs> I'm illiterate. Um, anyways, so he to begin a new life. In 1820... The Myrtles was sold to his son-in-law, Judge Clark Woodruff, who remodeled the mansion. The National Geographic Explorer filming crew determined... Okay, so um, there, so Nat Geo was at Myrtles Plantation, and they took a picture. And it has what... A, and it has, like, a... I'll, I'll send it to you, too, and we'll post it on our Instagram at Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Um... They call it the Chloe, like, picture, the Chloe postcard or whatever. And it look it's a picture of somewhere in the plantation, and there's, a like, a body, like a, like a person standing in it. So um, the National Geographic Explorer filming crew determined that the photograph definitely con- contained what appeared to be an apparition of what they believed to be a slave girl. The slave girl appeared in the breezeway between the general store and the butler's pantry of the mansion, the horizontal exterior boards of the mansion were clearly visible through the body of the apparition. So National Geographic Explorer used the photograph in their documentary and suggested that a postcard be made of the photograph. And then um, Mr. Norman Benoit, I love that name, a patent researchist, visited the Myrtles Plantation in May 1995 and requested permission to research the postcard. After enlarging the postcard and doing a shadow density procedure, Mr. Benoit discovered that all of the physical measurements of the apparition were of human dimensions and proportions. There's a conference of the head, the length of the shoulder to the elbow, and the length of the elbow to the wrist were all indicative of a human. So I'll send that to you and I'll post that. Um, And then I have 
two encounter stories from Reddit. Ooh, let's hear them. So this one is called My Terrifying Experience at the Infamous Myrtle's Plantation. All right. Since you guys seem to enjoy my posts, I guess I'll keep them coming. Sorry for the short break. Spring break ended, so I guess that this person must have a, just a bunch of ghost stories, which is awesome because I have zero ghost stories. Well, I have I have a couple, but none at famous plantations, I can tell you that. Um, so, uh, anyways, this one takes place in St. Francisville, Louisiana, not Wisconsin. This takes place at the rather infamous Myrtle's Plantation. Now, I know that with places that are kind of touristy as far as paranormal things go, they can be kind of questionable as far as the validity of what happens there. And this being such, I always tend to err on the side of caution as far as what I believe. And I always do a fairly thorough check of whenever I'm staying for any artificial motors, any wireless speakers, basically anything that can cause things to happen that may seem paranormal. The cabin we stayed in came up clear. So this is also a bed and breakfast now as well. Um, anyways, on with the story. So we arrived at the plantation at around 2 p.m. and we were given a complimentary tour of the grounds. I got vibes all over the place. It was pretty insane already because I get vibes, but rarely do I get vibes that strong. We were then shown the place we would be staying the night and were let in and essentially set free. I did my evaluation of the room, and then afterwards, I noticed something. Near the back door of the room, I got insane vibes, like even stronger than the rest of the grounds. I knew something had happened there. I knew I had to find out what had happened. This comes back up again later. By this point, it was probably about 5 p.m., and understandably, we were pretty hungry. We left the plantation to go into town and get some food. We got back at around 6.30 p.m., and began to walk over to our cabin when a friendly woman we had seen earlier came over, knowing we were paranormal enthusiasts, and asked if we wanted to see her room, which was in the actual plantation house. We were staying in a slave cabin. We said, of course, so she brought us up to her room. We looked around, and it was pretty regular as far as vibes go, but when I went into the bathroom, I felt the most oppressive, awful atmosphere. It was creepy and terrible, and I hated it and instantly wanted to leave. I don't necessarily think something had happened there, but I knew something inhabited that room, and I knew it wasn't something kind. Mm. We didn't stay in that place for long, but it was cool to look at. We left after probably 10 to 20 minutes of looking around. We went back to our cabin and got settled in for the night. Lots of vibes there, and my sister and I, we were somewhat younger at the time, slept in the same bed because we were scared. Oh, <laughs> And I stayed up pretty late playing a game called Farkle. It's pretty fun and really good for a time killer. As soon as midnight rolled around, we decided it would probably be best to put away the game and go to bed. But as soon as we had put the game away and the noise of the game and our voices were gone, I noticed a noise. The rocking chair on the front porch of the cabin was rocking methodically back and forth, and the rocking I heard was enough back and forth that I was certain it wasn't any wind that was responsible for it. I got a little freaked out, but decided I wasn't going to mention it to my younger sister, as it would prob probably just trouble her. So she and I laid down to sleep. She fell asleep pretty quickly, but I was having issues falling asleep. With all the thoughts and worries running through my head, but all those seemed rather irrelevant as I heard footsteps on the stones outside our cabin. Now, mind you, our cabin was fenced in 
Oh, sorry, I got a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Our cabin was fenced in, and so it couldn't be entered by anyone who didn't have the key. But regardless, I heard the footsteps, and they continued as I heard light slaps of feet on the wooden porch, along with a groan of the weight, and they continued on forward with the noise um, through the door. As I heard the figure pass right by my bed, but saw nothing, and then continued out the back door. I also smelled some rosy scent, which seems to accompany spirits relatively often for some reason. I had a really hard time falling asleep after that. The event happened around 1 in the morning, and I didn't fall asleep until around 3.30. When we woke up, we went into the main house for breakfast. We heard stories from the other campers about their experiences, which were equally terrifying, including people who felt a presence sit down on their bed in the middle of the night, and a person coming out of a cabin to tell people to be quiet, but the cabin was actually void of people. We ate and shared our stories, and then returned to our cabin. We sat there for a while, playing games on our tablets and just relaxing, as it was a nice cabin, despite it being haunted. (laughs) Then... I can't remember why, but my sister and my mom got into an argument. The argument obviously didn't sit well with whatever spirits occupied the cabin because their argument was cut short by the faucet in the bathroom turning on full force and then turning back off. The three of us freaked pretty bad and then cleared out the cabin in no less than 30 seconds. That was how that ended, and I'm never going to forget how scary it was to be awake by myself in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and suddenly realize you're not alone. I'll try to keep writing whenever I find the time to. Enjoy the end. Oh. See, I find anything to do with, like, plantations <clears throat> very interesting to read about because mm-hmm. there is so much dark history behind what was going on in those plantations. So much history. It's one of those prime examples of if walls could talk, right? Yeah. I could imagine the amount of residual hauntings and even intelligent hauntings just trying to tell their story. Um, Wanting to be heard. mm -hmm. Just wanting to feel like, especially those slaves that were kept against their will, were Mm -hmm. beaten, had to work for no pay. I mean, I can't even put into words what they had experienced. And, you know, feeling like they, they know that they're important you know they're they're human you know we all bleed the same blood right but not given the same rights i can imagine you know these spirits just wanting to tell their story and to get some sort of closure not that they'll ever be closure where you know you'd say oh i'm sorry and you keep it pushing like that's not the case with this you know yeah Um, yeah it's so different we have to keep talking about history because if we don't history is bound to repeat itself right so Absolutely. I think that, you know, these spirits, it's, it's sad that these spirits still reside there. Right. Yeah. But, um, I think that if you actually ever get like an EVP session in there, you could probably get some really cool voice recordings or something, um, at the Myrtle plantation. Well, I have one more story that involves a doll <gasps> on the Myrtle plantation. Yes. What? Okay. I'm ready. I'm all ears. Okay. So this is called My Stays at the Myrtle's Plantation. Hello, all. I saw a post earlier about the Ghost Adventures episode featuring the Myrtle's Plantation, so I thought I'd share my experiences there. Before I recount the story, I wanted to qualify some things. 
First, I admit that these trips were 10 and 12 years ago, and these stories come from memory. As such, I recognize the issues of memories being flawed, forgotten, or changed. Secondly, these stories provide zero evidence beyond anecdote. Any pictures cannot be posted as one. Some of them were only ever on a digital camera that an ex-girlfriend of 10 years ago has. Two, some of the pictures are with my mom and I don't have access to them. And three, I'm on my phone and simply don't have them. As such, I will only reference a couple of pictures as it would be just be irresponsible to say, I have a bunch of pictures, but then not be able to show them. So I will cut a bunch of that out. Finally, I wanted to say that while I am keenly interested in the paranormal, I will I do my best not to sacrifice a healthy level of skepticism. I think that is imperative. So note that the events that I recount are those that I am personally quite sure about as to their authenticity. However, I recognize the possibility for making a mistake. I think that is one of the interesting things about the paranormal, though. While there is essentially nothing in the way of clinical, quantifiable evidence, the fact that there is such a mountain of anecdotal evidence requires 100% of them to be lying, mistaken, or having been hoaxed in order to make those anecdotes be false. That is a tall order, in my opinion. Anyways, sorry for the long-windedness. Here are my stories. The first time I went to the Myrtles Plantation was in the summer of 2005. I went with my mother, who was a skeptic at the time, and we booked the William Winters room for one night. We arrived around 8 p.m. and immediately took our tour, took our, sorry, took our belongings to the room. The, uh, the way this wing of the house is set up is you have to enter that wing from the back porch. When you open the door, there is a little, like, four foot by four foot some. Uh, opening with a small broom closet to the left and stairs immediately in front of you. Nothing else, just walls. Essentially, what I'm getting at is there is not access to the lower floor from this door. It's just a stairway up to the second floor. Once you reach the second floor and round the half wall, there are like four bedrooms and a couple of bathrooms on that floor, if memory serves me. As I was interested in the paranormal... Then, as I am now, I decided to try and eliminate as many possibilities for mistakes, etc. So I began taking an inventory on certain things as soon as we got there. For example, uh, the door to the wing on the back porch locked automatically, and you had to have the key to open it up. When you did, it was loud and creaky with age and made a loud click-slash-thud when the door shut again. Also, that hall and our room was quite misty, musty smelling, sorry. I've been staring at the screen too long. It was quite musty smelling, as many old houses are. I noted those things as well as the fact that we were the only ones in the wing of the house that night. The other folks staying at the plantation were in the Judge Clark Woodruff suite in a different wing, the caretaker's cottage on property but not part of the main house, a room on the bottom floor on a different wing, and in the rooms that were formerly part of the slave quarters. Different building, but same property. When we got into our room, I immediately put pen to paper and took inventory of our room. On the mantel was a porcelain figurine, a porcelain doll, creepy enough as it is, and <laughs> another decorative glass item. I noted the position of everything in the room and the other items, like another doll on top of a boudoir, etc. 
Anyway, having put our stuff away, we went back downstairs and outside to meet and visit with our fellow vacationers. After a few minutes, we all decided to explore a little and take pictures. So my mom and I went upstairs to use the bathroom and get cameras. While my mom was using the bathroom, I was sitting on the bed and a very floral rose-like scent wafted by. This is just like the other guy's scent. (laughs) Wafted by and began to fill the room replacing the previously musty smell of age. I asked my mom if she smelled it, and she described the same. Around the same moment, um, let me scroll. Around the same moment as we were sniffing the air, the doll on the mantle began to play music. It was a wind-up doll. I need to interject here and say that were to happen, if that were to happen to me now, I would nope the hell out of there. (laughs) But I guess I was braver or dumber in my youth. So obviously, when the music started playing, our heads jerked to the sound immediately and and unnoticed that draped across that doll on the mantle was about an 18-inch long white peacock feather. Hmm. By the way, this is where most people call bullshit on my story as that just seems too damn Hollywood creepy or whatever. But I kid you not, there it was. Again, I had taken an inventory of the room and am certain that I would have noticed that beforehand. I also need to note that the staff of Myrtle's plantation leaves around 18, 18 p.m. God damn it, Lily. <laughs> around 8 p.m. So there was no one there to have been messing with us. Anyways, we were moderately freaked out and decided to go downstairs with the cameras and explore and take pictures with the other folks. While some creepy things happened while we were doing so, I will not include them here as they are nebulous at best. In any case, as the night wound down, we all decided to go to our respective rooms around 3 a.m. and see what happens. For us, nothing happened for about an hour. Around 4 a.m., though, uh, we heard incredibly distinct footsteps coming up the stairs. Now, recall what I said earlier. No one else was staying in our wing and could not get in without the key to that wing. We did not hear the door open or shut, and we would have. Footsteps simply just started at the bottom of the stairs and came to the top, rounded the half wall, and came to our door. I jumped out of bed and hit the floor to look under the door to see if I saw anything. I did, in fact, see two boots, which admittedly scared the hell out of me. I jumped back on bed, We're both scared, and we just kind of sit still, waiting to see if it does anything. About one to two minutes pass, then in the room next to us, which has a door leading into our room, we hear what sounds like a rubber ball hit the ground, bounce a little, then roll away, at which point we distinctly hear a little girl start crying. I went to mention again... I want to mention again that all of these things were very distinct, not some muffled thing that could have been anything. Anyways, writing all of this down makes it seem like that night wasn't that big of a deal. But when we consider how rare an actual paranormal experience can be, it makes the several events of that night pretty intense. I'm going to be honest, my thumbs are tired. I will write about my second trip here in the comments or on a different post. Any and all questions are welcome. Just please remember that I did my best to recognize that, yes, this is all anecdotal and doesn't prove a damn thing. Nevertheless, I will be glad to discuss anything. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there's already a lot 
here and the footsteps and the rose scent maybe yes. like like the woman of the plantation like the plantation owner's wife or something wore like a rose scented perfume mm-hmm. and she was like patrol the grounds and like that's what they're hearing now that's the that's the vibes i'm getting from that and the fact that two separate encounters had the same death like the de- same description of the smell yeah exactly like two people in one ho- story heard it and then one person in another story heard it like it's valid i think it's valid yeah for sure and these are creepy I mean, dolls two- yeah exactly Ugh. Now I want to go to Myrtle's Plantation, even though it sounds spooky kooky ooky. Right? But yeah, it's like a little bed and breakfast, and I'll send you that picture of the um, postcard with the person in it. It's really spooky kooky ooky. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll post it on our Instagram, um, and then definitely uh, add yourself to our private Facebook group, guys. Uh, it's Just Ghouly Things Podcast Group. And it's, it's just a small private community of everyone that likes our Facebook page that's public, but it's just a group that everyone could post their pictures or encounters on or articles that they find. And you guys could just, you know, bounce off ideas or theories to each other. And it's just a safe space for everyone to talk openly about the paranormal. So definitely check it out. Absolutely. Oh God, I got a Facebook message now on my Oh, wait, I don't need to worry about reading anything. You're done. Because I'm done. Now you just got to listen to me go on and on and on about a very interesting haunted mansion called the Lemp Mansion. So my research for this mansion took a turn that I did not expect. And while I will be reading a couple encounter stories at the end, most of what I'll be talking about in my research actually has to do with the history of the mansion and how it all connects to the theory that this Lemp family was cursed. Ooh. And you will see why that theory seems pretty valid in the next few minutes. Okay. So the Lemp Mansion is said to be one of the 10 most haunted places in America. The Lemp Mansion is in St. Louis, Missouri, and continues to play host to the tragic Lemp family. And over the years, the mansion was transformed from the stately home of millionaires to office space, decaying into a rundown boarding house, and finally restored to its current state as a fine dinner theater, restaurant, and bed and breakfast. I love how, like, all these... dinner theater, bed and breakfast. I love how all these, like, super fucked up haunted places are turning into just peaceful bread and breakfasts now. Like, okay... No big deal. No dark history in these walls. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so the Lemp family began with Johann Adam Lemp, who arrived in St. Louis from Eschweg, Germany in 1838. Building a small grocery store at what is now Delmar and Sixth Streets, he sold common household items, groceries, and homemade beer. So the light golden lager was a welcome change from the darker beers that were sold during that time. And the recipe handed down by his father became so popular that just two years later, he gave up the grocery store and ended up building a small brewery in 1840 at a point close to where the Gateway Arch stands today. So Lemp ended up first selling his beer in a pub attached to the brewery, introducing St. Louis to its first lager. And before long, Lemp found that the brewery was too small to handle both production and storage and found a limestone cave south of the city limits. The cave, which was located at the present-day corner of Cherokee and Demonil Place, could be kept cool by chopping ice from the nearby Mississippi River and depositing it inside, providing perfect conditions for the lagering process to run its course. I did not know 
build that processing beer and stuff like that was this complex. But yeah, now when I drink beer, I'm going to think about that and respect it a little more. Okay. Yeah. So Lump's Western Brewing Company continued to prosper and by the end of the 1850s was one of the largest in the city. And in 1858, the beer captured first place in the annual St. Louis Fair. So everything seems to be going great, right? So a millionaire by the time of his death, Adam Lemp, died August 25th, 1862, and his son, William, began a major expansion of the brewery. He purchased a five-block area around the storage house on Cherokee above the Lagering Caves. In 1864, a new plant was completed at Cherokee Street and Carondelet Avenue. Continually expanding to meet the product demand, the brewery eventually covered five city blocks. Holy shit. Five city blocks, Lil. That's fucking massive. Massive. But you need your beer, right? So What's his first name? The first name of the son? The guy who built it. Oh, so it was Adam Lemp. Like, he first founded the beer. And then now, at this point, William has expanded the brewery, which is his son. William Lemp is taking over the world. Yes. But at what cost? Dun, dun, dun. So, by the 1870s, the Lemp family symbolized both wealth and power as the Lemp Brewery controlled the St. Louis beer position, a beer market, a position it maintained until Prohibition. So, keep Prohibition in the back of your mind for the time being. In 1868, Jacob Fikert, William Lemp's father-in-law, built a house to sh- a short distance from the Lemp Brewery, and in 1876, William Lemp purchased it for his family, utilizing it as both a residence and an auxiliary office. While the home was already impressive, Lemp immediately began renovating and expanding the 33-room house into a Holy Victorian shit. show place. Yes. So from the mansion, a tunnel was built from the basement through the caves to the brewery. And when the mechanical refrigeration became available, parts of the cave were converted for other purposes, including a natural auditorium and a theater. This underground oasis would later spawn a large concrete swimming pool with hot water piped in from the brewing boiling house and a bowling alley. At one time, the theater was accessible by the way of a spiral staircase from Cherokee Street. Yeah, underground roads all connected to this one mansion. With yeah, with a swim yeah. Oh, I can't use the I can't use the tunnels anymore. So let me just put a fucking swimming pool and a theater in here. No big deal. Yeah, just casual. Yeah, I guess this is before iPhones and stuff. People were creative. So by the middle 1890s, the Lemp Brewery gained a natural presence, national presence, after introducing the popular Falstaff beer, which is still brewed today by another company. And the Lemp Western Brewery was the first brewer to establish coast-to-coast distribution of its beer. At the time he was building his own business empire, William Sr. also helped Pabst, Anheuser, and Bush get started. Those are very, you know, you know, yeah. the beer. So in the midst of his success, the Lemp family experienced the first of many tragedies when Frederick Lemp, William Sr.'s favorite son and heir, apparent, apparent died in 1901 at the age of 28. Frederick, who had never been in extremely good health, died of heart failure. The devastator William left was never the same after that, beginning a slow withdrawal. He was rarely seen in public after his son's death, and on January 1st, 1904, William's closest friend, Frederick Pabst, also died, leaving William indifferent to the details of running the brewery. 
Though he still arrived at the office each day, he was nervous and unsettled. His physical and mental health began to decline, and on February 13, 1904, he shot himself in the head with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. Oh, my God. So think now about the 38 caliber Smith & Wesson, because it will be coming up again. Now, in November 1904, William, Je- William Lemp Jr. took over as the president of the William J. Lemp Brewing Company. Inheriting the family business and a vast fortune, he and his wife, Lillian, began to spend the inheritance, filling the houses with servants. The pair spent huge amounts on carriages, clothing, and art. So very, very greedy, from what it sounds like. And Lillian was not a stranger to wealth. She was a beautiful woman who came from a wealthy family herself. She and William Lemp Jr. had married in 1899, and William J. Lemp III was born September 26th, 1900 so their kid before long Lillian became known as the lavender lady because of her fondness for the color and in addition to her lavender attire and accessories she went so far as to have her carriage horses harnesses dyed lavender and in the beginning Will enjoyed showing off his trophy wife but Will was also a player and in common day known as a fuck boy so (laughs) (laughs) Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he was used to doing and acting as he pleased. When William began to tire of his beautiful wife, he demanded that she must spend her time shopping. Allotting her $1,000 a day, he gave her an ultimatum that if she didn't spend it, she wouldn't get any more. (laughs) I find that. Doesn't sound too bad, right? But in the meantime, while she was shopping, Will was getting busy running the brewery during the day and pursuing all manner of decadent activities during the night. Holding lavish parties in the caves below the mansion, he would bring in numerous prostitutes for the entertainment of his friends. Oh, God. Yeah, just his friends. Okay, buddy. Keep your oh, dick no, in your pants. Oh, no, baby, what is you doing? So enjoying the swimming pool, the bowling alley, and the free-flowing beer, his friends who attended these lavish events were known to enjoy a high time in the earth below. Bull shenanigans caught up with him, though, when he sired a son with a woman other than his wife. Today, there is no official documentation that this boy existed. However, the rumors that this boy was hidden in the mansion attic for his entire life have been prevalent over the years. According to St. Louis historian Joe Givens, when he interviewed a former nanny and a chauffeur who worked at the mansion long ago... Both of them verified that the boy did in fact exist and was housed in the attic quarters that also housed the servants' rooms. Spawned from Will's philandering with either one of the many prostitutes or a mansion servant, the boy was born with Down syndrome. Now this was a total embarrassment to the family, so the boy was hidden away from the world in order to cloak the Lemp's shame. Yeah, fucking assholes. And if you didn't think that the Lemp family were assholes already... The boy was then referred to as Monkey Face Boy. And unfortunately, <gasps> this unfortunate soul continues to show his presence at the Lent Mansion. Uh, so finally, these two, uh, William and uh, William and Lillian, they end up getting a divorce and the business was on a decline. William's mom then died of cancer and the house was also then made for office space for the company. They ended up closing during Prohibition Uh, because obviously they couldn't sell anything during Prohibition. And at that point, the family curse you thought would stop? Nope, it doesn't. And on March 20th, 1920, Elsa Lemp Wright, William's sister, the wealthiest heiress in St. Louis, shot herself 
just like her father had years before. Elsa was said to have been despondent over her rocky marriage. So, back to William Jr. Liquidating the assets of the plan auctioning the buildings, William Jr. sold the famous Lemp Falstaff logo to brewer Joseph Greisdyke for $25,000 in 1922. The brewery, the brewery buildings were sold to the International Shoe Company, Shoe Company for $580,000, which is a fraction of its estimated worth of $7 million in the years before Prohibition. So pretty much Prohibition completely fucked Holy shit. the beer industry. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of the Lemp's brewing, brewing dynasty, William Jr. slipped into a depression. Acting much like his father, he became increasingly nervous and erratic, shunning public life and often complaining of ill health. On December 29, 1922, William shot himself in the heart with, you guessed it, a 38 caliber revolver in the same building where his father had died 18 years before. William II took his life on Wait, the... Or just the same house? Wait, what happened? Is it the same room that he killed himself in or just the same house? In the same building. Just in the same building. Gotcha. Uh-huh. And then William II took his life on the main level of the mansion just inside the entrance to the left. And at the time of his death, this room served as his office. William's brothers, Charles and Edwin, had long ago left the family business. So with William Jr. gone, it seemed that the Lemp Empire had finally ended. Edwin had entered into a life of seclusion at his estate in Kirkwood, Missouri in 1911, and Charles had never been involved in the brewery and had chosen to work in banking and real estate fields instead. These boys were smart. They're like, I'm, there's something fishy in this family. I'm not going to get involved in this shit. So they then, were psychic. They were secretly they, psychic. Yeah, they, they were like, fuck this shit, I'm out. So in 1943... Uh-huh. Yet another tragedy occurred when William Lemp III died of a heart attack at the age of 42. Brother Charles eventually remodeled the mansion back into a residence and lived in the house along with two servants and the illegitimate child of his brother William. Charles, too, became an odd figure as he grew older. Developing a morbid fear of germs, his obsessive-compulsive behavior included wearing gloves at all times to avoid bacteria and constantly washing his hands. Oh, he would have loved this pandemic. Um, the second you said wearing gloves i was like oh my god boy would he be in heaven oh he oh my god he'd be getting hard over those masks that we have to wear all the time are you kidding me okay oh my god yes so it was during this time that william's illegitimate child now in his 30s died at the mansion he was buried on the lemp cemetery plot with only a small flat marker with the word lemp didn't even have a name yeah oh my god so shortly after the named monkey face boy's death charles became the fourth member of the lemp family to commit suicide climbing the staircase to his room on the second floor and he shot himself charles was discovered on may 10th 1949 by one of his staff still holding a you guessed it a 38 caliber army colt revolver in his right hand holy shit yeah so this guy charles he was doing good and then he came back to help out with the mansion, and he killed himself. So, of all the Lemps, only Edwin Lemp, who had long avoided the life, had turned so tragic for the rest of his family, remained. 
He was known as a quiet, reclusive man who had walked away from the Lem Brewery in 1913 and, like I said, lived a peaceful life on a secluded estate in Missouri. Edwin passed away quietly of natural causes at the age of 90 in 1970. So this guy just, he was doing it right. So according to Edwin's last wishes, his butler burned all of the paintings that the Lemps had collected throughout his life, as well as priceless Lemp family documentaries and artifacts. These irreplaceable pieces of history vanished in the smoke of a blazing bonfire. The no way it's like that's the closing of that's, a movie that's what i want to happen to my stuff i want a bonfire and i just want you to burn all my shit yeah like fuck it like just i'm just done the closed book you know so the lem family line died out with him and the family's resting place can now be found in beautiful bella fontaine cemetery so that is the history the curse of the lemp family mansion why it's cursed we don't know right it could be theories of what it was built on maybe there was a native american ground there uh could be that there was some freaky spooky kooky kooky stuff within the family maybe they were cursed from generations before the house seems to be kind of the main uh the the main catalyst for the curse so i don't know what happened within those walls but yeah No, there's there's definitely something something there mm-hmm. that is not good. I wonder and you know what? I wonder if before like William Lemp the first, like all that shit went down, I wonder if there was something happening there that was just never recorded. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it doesn't seem like the father the first the you know, the owner, Adam, it didn't seem like he died of anything suspicious, you know. Um he yeah. just had died and then it was William that was it started with the line of the, the pattern of suicides in the family so but like what if like some like shit had happened with Adam that he just like never told anybody because there you get a lot of stories especially like also like when we're on Reddit and like obviously there was no Reddit mm-hmm. back then that's like oh I've never told anyone this but or oh I never thought that I wanted to talk about it but yeah you know what I mean yeah definitely and that just that's the thing is all these documents are forever burned. This is a part of history that it seems that although we want answers, maybe no answer is the answer and it should stay that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Now with the experiences. So after the death of Charles Lemp, the mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house. Like I previously explained along with the nearby neighborhood, the building began to deteriorate and the haunting tales began. Residents complained of ghostly knocks and phantom footsteps being heard throughout the house As these stories spread, tenants were hard to find for the boarding house, and it continued to decline into a near flop house status. Now, that is such a shame. Uh, This mansion, this massive 33-room mansion, had so much, so much hope, you know? And it turns into a boarding house that ended up flopping, and no one wants to even live in there. Um, However, in 1975, the old mansion was saved when Dick Pointer and his family purchased it. I'm sorry, that's such a funny name. Dick Pointer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm five. That was okay. my nickname at college. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Immediately, they began to renovate the building, turning it into a restaurant and an inn. Workers within the house often told stories of apparitions, strange sounds, vanishing tools, and a feeling of being watched. Frightened by the hauntings, many would leave the job site and never return. Lemp family burial site Bella Fontaine Cemetery St. Louis Missouri uh Amy Starks oh that was a picture sorry my bad that was just a caption from something (laughs) I was like why is it just naming off 
these places. Okay. So since the restaurant opened, staff members have reported several strange experiences. Again, apparitions appear and then quickly vanish. Voices and sounds come from nowhere. And glasses will often lift off in the bar, flying through the air by themselves. And on other occasions... Uh, doors are said to lock and unlock by themselves. Lights inexplicably turn on and off of their own free will. And the piano bar often plays when no one is near. So, said to be haunted by several members of the Lem family, there are three areas of the old mansion that have the most activity. The stairway, the attic, and what the staff refers to as the gates of hell in the basement. It's this area of the basement. What could possibly go wrong when you call the basement the (laughs) gates of hell? So the reason why it is, is this is the area of the basement that used to be the entrance to the caves running below the mansion and the brewery. And the attic is said to be haunted by William Jr.'s illegitimate son, often referred to as the monkey-faced boy. And this Mm -hmm. poor soul, born with Down syndrome, spent his entire life locked in the attic of the Lent Mansion. Um, Strange occurrences are often witnessed on this third floor level of the mansion the face of the boy has regularly been seen on the street uh on the street peeking from the small windows of the mansion ghost investor ghost investigators have often left toys in the middle of the room drawing a circle around them to see if the objects have been moved consistently when they return the next day the toys are found in another location and the downstairs mm-hmm. yeah this guy this kid just wanted attention you know and in the downstairs women's bathroom I know! It's so fucking sad. Like, I feel so bad for this kid. Like, this kid didn't ask to be born into this fucked up family. Yeah, that sucks. I said that to my mom the other day. I was, <laughs> well, not, not exactly that. I was like, gonna say, oh great. my god, Lil. I was talking to her, I was like, you know, I never asked. I think it was like I didn't want to go to work or something. I was like, theoretically, I never asked to be born, so it's kind of a dick move for you guys to force me it's to be It's pretty fucking selfish of you guys. Like, I didn't ask to pay fucking bills and go to school. So anyway. Yeah, and then, exactly, right? Like, you go to school for years and then you work until you die. I didn't sign up for that. Definitely did not put my name on the dotted line. Thanks, bitch. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am like getting too focused on this. Uh, In the downstairs women's bathroom, which was once William Jr.'s personal domain and held the first freestanding shower in St. Louis, if you guys didn't know, many women have reported a man. Wait, what? I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess this, the Lent Mansion apparently had the first freestanding fucking shower in St. Louis. I would love to party at, like, the Lent Mansion with, like, I mean, maybe without the prostitutes, but, like, with, like, the bowling and the theater and the drinking and the, but not too much of that because then you throw up in the bathroom. But then you just wash it off in a freestanding shower. Shower. There you go. Okay. Same page always. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, you're good. On one such occasion, a woman emerged from the bathroom returning to the bar and stated to the two men she was there with, I hope you got an eyeful. However, the two men quickly denied ever having left the bar for which the bartender verified. This ghost is said to be that of the womanizing William Jr. Oh, so he's a fucking creep in the afterlife? Fuck you, William Jr. You're a piece of shit. He just, just couldn't get enough. He needs seriously. That, you know, God, fuck get, you. Action. Okay. And in William Lemp Sr.'s room, guests have often reported hearing someone running up the stairs and kicking out the door. When William killed himself, William Jr. was known to have run up the stairs to his father's room and finding it locked, began to kick the door in to get to his father. 
Several years ago, a part-time tour guide reported hearing the sounds of horses outside the room where William Lemp Sr. had kept his office. However, when the tour guide looked through the window, nothing was there. This area, north of the mansion and now used as a parking lot, was once utilized as a tethering lot for horses. So it makes sense. Like, a lot of residual activity there. Um, So I have one Reddit story. This is the final story for today. And... This is titled, Haunted by My Grandpa After a Visit to the Lemp Mansion. So this isn't necessarily a story that was based in the Lemp Mansion, but it was something that happened as a result of going to the Lemp Mansion. Okay. So you know. This is the story about how my grandpa haunted me for a few days after a visit to the famous Lemp Mansion and how he might have left me a message I don't understand. I also want to warn you guys that English is not my first language, and I'm pretty fucking bad at placing punctuations and commas. So sorry if this is a big mess to you. I am very, very sorry. Well, thank you for the warning, at least. I, You know what? At least I got the warning. Lily, when we were doing the quarantine specials, you were never given a warn- warning. They were just like, fuck you. Figure it out. What, what, did you do? what did I do wrong? And what did you do right that you get a warning that people aren't doing their commas? It's just the life of Lily Baldessari, I guess. I think it would make too much sense for me to be able to read a fucking story. There would be no entertainment in it. Absolutely none. Okay, so this starts. So me and my friend are currently traveling coast to coast in the U.S., and about a month ago, we came to St. Louis and decided to take the Lep Mansion Ghost Tour after we had seen it on Ghost Adventures. The tour went fairly uneventful, and we were rather bored. I then got to play with a pair of dowsing rods that is said to form an X when a spirit is present in front of it. So I walk around for about five minutes without anything happening, and I'm about to give up and leave. But then suddenly it forms the X, and I began to answer, I began to ask it questions. Is anybody there? If so, move the rod in my right hand to the right. Rod moves to the right for the first time I held them. I then switch to my native tongue. Do you understand me? Do you speak, do you speak Danish? Rod moves right. Do I know you? Rod moves right. Are we family? Rod doesn't move, uh, knowing this may not make sense to me until I thought of my grandpa, who wasn't my biological grandpa, but my real one left my grandma before my dad was born. Is this you, grandpa? Rod doesn't move. Is it you, Dan? Grandpa Dan? Rod moves right, the fastest of all the questions. So I just give a little speech about how he will always be the real grandpa to me and my brother and blah, 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 heartwarming stuff and so on. The next day, both my, my friend and I forget something at the hotel we stayed at. Most odd was my friend forgot his adapter, which is weird because it was plugged into his computer charger and he had absolutely no reason to take it apart. To be fair, my friend isn't the brightest person, so we didn't think anything about it and and still have my doubts that this had anything paranormal to do. The next day, the most mind-boggling thing happened, and now this long story actually gets interesting. We were getting our dinner, and while I was alone in the car, I thought I might as well try and talk to him again to confirm anything I said the other night was true, and I was happy if he really did watch over me. My friend then comes back with the food, and I begin driving home, but I'm suddenly incredibly unfocused and feel like I'm almost not awake. I've never... I've never tried anything like, I've never felt anything like it before while driving, and I've had drives that were over six hours straight. I managed to miss two simple turns on a five-minute tour home. It was like something drained my energy. Oh, I know I sound cliche right now. Later, I remembered that I forgot my wallet in the car, and when I came down to pick it up, I saw the sticker that was suddenly placed on the radio. I couldn't believe it. The car was locked, so no one could have placed this there. It was like someone wanted to show me that and that they had heard my speech. 
Other weird things had happened the following days, including our GPS that would suddenly freak out in the middle of New Orleans when there was no concrete buildings around us, and it would stop a few seconds later after I said, can you stop screwing with our GPS so I can know where I'm going? And my phone would unlock itself and make a bunch of new alarms in my pocket, including one at 3.53 a.m. named Sarase. No idea what that means. But after I spoke with my mother and brother about the things that had happened to me, the weird things stopped happening, and I haven't been I haven't had anything happen in over a month. It might be after I told his only other grandchild that he was also watching over him that gave him peace. But honestly, I don't know why it suddenly stopped. Anyway, I find the thought of him just chilling on the back seat of uh, the back seat with us pretty satisfyingly, even if I'm the only one who believes my story. The end. That's so sweet. I feel like, it, like again, we get another classic grandparent story in. Yeah, I so love, I love these some, grandparent stories. Some good actually came from the Lemp Mansion. Who would have thunk? Yeah, and what a great way to conclude this episode of Just Ghouly Things, Haunted Mansions. So thank you so much, Boo. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. It is awesome to be back recording a super-duper long episode, may I add. I feel like this is like an hour and a half. It's a good good chunk of time. So it was um, worth the wait, folks. It really was. And definitely, it was nice to recharge our batteries after recording for an hour every single day for 85 days. But uh, <laughs> it was good to be back and getting into the swing of things. So definitely email us your spooky kookie ookie stories to our email at justgoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any topics that you would love for us to talk about on the show, definitely email us at justgoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Lily, do you have anything to say before we wrap up and shout out all our socials? Don't lock your illegitimate children in an attic. And don't call them monkey face boy. Yeah. Treat people, like Harry Styles said, treat people with kindness. Just like Harry Styles said. Instead of what would Jesus do, what would Harry Styles do? WWHSD, baby! You pulled that off very quickly. You've been wanting to say that for a while. I can feel it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. To our social media, follow us on Instagram at Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and at Uli Baldessari. Twitter, JGT Podcast. Facebook like page, Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Facebook private group, Just Ghoulie Things Podcast group. Donate to our Patreon, Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share on our show, feel free to email us at Just Ghoulie Things Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Things, and we will talk to Boo, not tomorrow, but next week. Goodbye!